You're listening to The Beauty Debut. I'm your host, Claudia Fabian. As someone who has spent over 25 years in the beauty industry as an esthetician, makeup artist, and in professional sales, I want to share what I've learned. Allow me to be your beauty avatar and give you a behind-the-scenes look at what it's really like to work in the world of beauty. And follow me as I navigate how to age gracefully. And remember, it's never too late to make your debut. This podcast is about all things beauty inside and out. Tune in every week to hear my conversations with the amazing professionals who are working in all aspects of the beauty industry. Get the scoop on the latest trends and learn firsthand insider tips and tricks to help you look and feel your very best. I'm so happy to have you here. The Beauty Debut starts now. Lori, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me today on the Beauty Debut Podcast. So welcome. Thank you, Claudia. It's so good uh, to hear your voice and to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I'm glad to have you. So, you know, Lori, you have been in sales and in beauty for many, many years. Um, But I would like to start, as I do with most of my interviews, in asking, how did you get your start in beauty? That's a great question. And I'm going to say that the way that I got my start is probably a little similar to what other people would say. Um, I think all of us, to a certain extent, end up in this um, industry because of something that interested us earlier in life. So for me, it's not that I, you know, set out when I was younger to be in skincare, but I had acne from the time I was 13 and spent a lot of time in my dermatologist's office in the waiting room, waiting to be seen. I remember a giant dermatology textbook in the room, and I would always flip through it and look at the pictures. And in retrospect, I think, why was that in there, first of all? And why was I looking at that? But um, it was, you know, I spent a lot of time, I guess, just in a dermatologist's office waiting for them to, you know, give me a new prescription or a new solution to my acne. And, you know, it persisted for all of my childhood into college. And just throughout that time, like I started figuring out for myself, you know, what makes it worse? What makes it better? um, How do I cover this up? Just all of those things that you go through when you have acne to try to improve it or hide it. And just over the years, you know, I read so much in magazines and in that creepy derm textbook in the doctor's office that it just, it stuck with me. And I think it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's sort of subconscious for a while. You don't realize that this is going to come back as your career later on, but it's just something that really interested me early on. And I had read so much and learned so much that it just, um, it just became my job. Well, and I think that's really interesting because as a young, you know, preteen that you were, you know, experiencing these breakouts, it's traumatizing. You know, I think that unless you go through that, you really don't understand, you know, the the traumatizing part of constantly be thinking about your skin, your face, are people staring? Because, you know, when you're 13, like, it's, it's like, 
the worst age I think ever is, is yeah. junior high, you know, before high school age where you're just so self-conscious, you know, you're developing, you're going through puberty and all these things are happening. So I think that is really traumatizing. And it probably is the reason that never left you is because I'm sure that was really difficult to go through yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it is. And I, I think that, I think we know now more the psychological impact of any skin concern. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this was goodness a long time ago, 40 years ago. And we didn't realize the psychological impact of, of a lot of things 40 years ago, let alone acne. And I just remember my dermatologist just addressing it solely as a, as a medical concern that needed to be corrected with prescriptions. Um, cosmetic dermatology didn't exist 40 years ago. Aesthetic dermatology didn't exist. So it was truly, you have a pimple, you have acne, you have a disease, here's your antibiotic, here's your topical, good luck. And there was no accounting for the psychological impact. And yeah, you know, in my, in my older age, I've come to realize some things that um, that have stuck with me all those years. Mm -hmm. It's so um, bizarre to, you know, certain words, certain situations, and it will come back to me. Mm -hmm. um, so you are correct in all of that. Yeah. Yeah. The psychology of skin is, you know, the psychology of how your skin looks, you know, really does affect your self-esteem and, and how you present to the world, you know? So now that, you know, when did you finally get a grasp and, and your skin cleared up? Did that just happen on its own or did that happen when you came across a certain brand or what was that time like for you? That's a great question. And, you know, I think that's something that we can all learn. And I think we've learned in science over the years. I remember my dermatologist telling me that it was a puberty thing. It will clear up um, once you get through puberty, right? Um, and as it turns out, in retrospect, the reason that they used to tell patients that it would clear up after puberty was because most of those studies were done on males. And yes, in males, um, it does clear up after puberty, but women's hormones continue to fluctuate throughout their lives. So it doesn't clear up in women once they've, you know, gone through puberty and matured. So, um, you know, for me, I think there was um, just a series of every topical pr um, prescription that you can imagine at the time from, you know, clindamycin, theocentine, uh, metronidazole, Retin-A. I've been using Retin-A since I was 14. Mm -hmm. um, and I took Accutane, I think in high school and college. It cleared up during college for a bit and then came back and then um, I found, I actually figured out just in the last couple of years that I was actually using a lip balm um, that had something in it that I was allergic to. So, you know, what I had dealt with the past few years was my own fault. Um, but, you know, it truly is, I think it's probably the Accutane, you know, aging out of it a little bit and just the right combination of products with Retin-A, um, mm -hmm. always using sunscreen, being really mindful, I think of what you're doing every day, like when, mm -hmm. when you're touching your face, where you're putting your hands, mm -hmm. um, it's the little things. And there are some crazy things that my dermatologist told me years ago that I thought, wow, you are just cuckoo, um, that are true. And we still tell patients that now about, you know, using a clean hand towel every day, changing your pillowcase every other night. Those are all still true. So it was, it was a combination of things over the years. And I think finally aging out of it at about age 40, honestly.
Well, one thing that you said that really stood out to me is that the studies were only done on males. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, then, and you think about that, like that, you know, you and I are, are not that old. So well, we are not. <laughs> it wasn't too long ago, really, in the scheme of things. And it's crazy that back then they didn't even consider having females in their skin studies. I, yeah. That to me, it just still blows my mind. Yes. And not so long ago. I think that's, that's what blows everyone's mind is that all studies, most of them were almost, you know, done exclusively on men. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you can't extrapolate that across men, women, you know, and different skin tones, types, textures, anything. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, I guess that kind of just really jumped out at me considering, you know, a legend, um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has just passed away. And so, you know, you saying that to me just really brings home a lot of the things I know she really, you know, fought for, you know, for equal rights for women and, and all of that. And we're not going to get into politics. So don't worry. <laughs> I just wanted to like, just say how much that struck me when you said that. And, you know, all these young, you know, teenage girls at the time, you know, suffering with acne and these studies weren't even really done to really fit what they were going through. No, no, it's, it's amazing. And like you said, for us to think that all of that changed in our very short lifetimes mm -hmm. where we would think that we're talking about ancient history, like a mm -hmm. hundred or 200 years ago, but it's truly just 30 or 40 years ago. Very interesting. That's a whole nother podcast topic right there. Right. There you go. <laughs> so now you ended up in professional sales in beauty when, like, was that years after you finished college? Like, how did you fall into the beauty side of your career? So a long time after college, um, 10 years ago, actually 10 years ago in October, I, um, took a job with um, a skincare company and moved to Las Vegas to work in sales there prior to that. So that was 2010. So in about 2006 or seven, I went to work in the office of a plastic surgeon in Tennessee as an esthetician. And I ended up there um, because I lived in Great Britain for a few years before that. I worked in consumer product sales and consumer licensing, but I noticed there that you know, skincare is thought of differently in Europe than it is in the United States. There, they see going to the spa, getting a massage, wellness in general, not as a luxury, but as just a good way to look after yourself and to take care of the whole person. And I noticed just the different approach to the spa and how important it was in their day and the importance of skincare versus makeup. So when I came back, back to the States a few years later, um, I decided that I wanted to be an esthetician and took my sales knowledge that I had from a lot of years of marketing and sales in the UK and in the US before I went and went to aesthetic school, worked in a plastic surgeon's office for three years, and then decided that I wanted to be in aesthetic sales mm -hmm. and just made that transition. Yeah. I, you know, I talked to someone that was one of my uh, brand representatives at the time in our office about how she enjoyed her job, 
did she enjoy it? Would she recommend the company? And she said, yes, absolutely. And if you ever, you know, want to see what's available, I'm happy to help you look for a job there. And it just kind of snowballed very quickly from there. I uh, found an open position, interviewed for it. The position was in Florida. Um, I didn't get it. And a month later, I thought, you know, the interview process was so pleasant. I thought I have to work for this company. I have to. And I reached back out and they had two openings, Chicago and Las Vegas and love Chicago, but it's too cold for me. Mm -hmm. So I said Las Vegas and interviewed again, right? Um, interviewed, went through the whole process again and was offered a sales job in Las Vegas. And we packed up everything that we had and just drove out here and um, just jumped right into it. That's awesome. mm -hmm. Crazy, right? Crazy. Oh, I think that's great. And you know, you had so many great experiences before you even got into beauty sales that really probably really helped you excel and, you know, really to do very well. Because um, there's one thing to be an esthetician and have that experience, but you're also your marketing, your business, all of that really kind of comes together to really create the perfect, I think, sales executive for beauty. Um, and because I know you've been so successful, um, what would you say are your top three tips? So, you know, what tips can you give to other sales executives out there? I think, you know, the most important things that I noticed when I was a customer that I used as a salesperson, first of all, is to always be authentic, uh, trying to fake that you know something you don't know, trying to pretend um, to understand something you don't understand will not get you that far. Um, you should always be authentic, always be yourself. Um, be there to provide a solution. I think the best way to be a good salesperson is first to take an interest in the customer, find out about their business, ask them questions. What do you do here? What's the most popular procedure in your practice? What do you currently recommend with that? What are your patients still asking for? Find out everything you can about their business so that you can help them. Mm -hmm. You're there to offer them solutions, not just to sell them something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, be there to provide that solution ongoing and to be a resource for them. I think the best salespeople in the business just like you have a strategy and a plan and if they're placing a big order you already have a plan in place to help them sell through it mm -hmm. i think being a good business partner that is completely honest and authentic is just the most important thing that you can do as a sales rep truly in any business I 100% agree. I think just being authentic, I think that really resonates with me that you said that because I think it's so important just to be yourself and, you know, to really just kind of come from a place of wanting to help. I think that always, you know, that energy, they pick up on that and they know you're really being genuine and that, you know, it, your brand at that time might not be a good fit for them, but people never remember, never forget kindness and right. forget, you know, that person that was really authentic. So that door will always be open to you. Always. I think that is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you and I have both been in sales a long time and, you know, I won't bore you with all of my crazy sales stories, but what has been the crazy, I want to know from you though, what has been the craziest thing that's happened to you? 
when you go, you know, I've thought about that. I know I've thought about that. And, you know, most of anything crazy that's happened to me, I somehow either fell into it or accidentally created the situation for myself and then had to get myself out of it. Um, but, you know, I've had some interesting moments. Um, I had a cosmetic surgeon here in Las Vegas just absolutely like unsolicited one day I was just sitting in their office looked at me and said you know I could lipo out that fat on your stomach and then re-inject it into your butt if you want me to oh god what did you say this wasn't recent you know we do that now right this was this was eight years ago Claudia I just looked up and I went no, I'm good. Thank you. Oh Thank my God. Um, and just thought, where did that even come from? Yeah. But now, obviously, obviously, I might sign up for that now. Yeah. Uh, like, now, can you call him back up and say, remember 10 years ago <laughs> when you mentioned that? Um, now I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. If given the opportunity, I might totally sign up for that. I thought you were going to say that he like hit on you or something. Cause I was just <laughs> like, oh, this is going to get good. <laughs> right? It's going to get really juicy. No, you know, I will say that like, I must come across as not very engaging or hit on a ball because, mm -hmm. or just unfriendly because yeah. it's just, that has never been a problem for me. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that's happened to me, but, um, you know, things happen when you're out in sales, when yeah. men and women get together. Yeah. Stuff yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard some amazing stories and I think mm, I must just look really unfriendly most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, I think it's kind of like, you know, your whatever energy you kind of bring. I think, you know, I always find like, I know you've been in a, in a really happy relationship ever since I've known you. And I think that energy kind of comes out like people kind of know that you're kind of off the market in a sense. <laughs> Probably. Well, just and I'm laughing because like in my mind, I've always been off the market. <laughs> like, please just don't even go there with me ever. <laughs> so, you know, we were talking before we started recording about, I think there's, and, I, and this is kind of maybe just, maybe I'm totally off kilter with this, but I found in sales, you know, working with many executives and being a sales executive myself, I feel like a lot of ex executives working in the beauty industry, they so desperately want to get to that pharmaceutical level. Like it's like the golden egg, like they really want those jobs. And, you know, I've talked to some sales executives that work in pharmaceutical sales. And while there are a lot of perks and definitely it's, you know, kind of an elite position, you know, there's, there's the grass isn't always greener and it goes both ways. Now, I know you've made the transition and you definitely are more on the pharmaceutical side of the business. What, how do you take that? Like, do you think there's like a hierarchy with, within sales executives of, you know, like who you're working for and are you a pharmaceutical sales or are you just selling makeup? Like, you know, is there some kind of like hierarchy that's kind of unspoken? That's really, that's a really good question. I do feel like there's some type of strange stratification there that, you know, if you're in skincare, if you're, you know, in our medical skincare side of the business, it seems to be, you know, you work for company A, B, C, or D, mm -hmm. and then there's kind of a you know, perception of, you know, how aggressive you are or, 
you know, we suddenly attribute the reputation of that brand to you. And I think a pharmaceutical, probably same thing, right? Like which drug do you have the opportunity to represent? I do think that's probably there. What I will say is that, you know, over the years, um, when I first started working in skincare and my, with my first company, it was, you know, still, we sold to dermatologists, we sold to plastic surgeons, still sold to med spas. They actually still sold to a few hair salons here and there. And they were really trying to medicalize the brand more than it had been. So they started, you know, down the path of getting more published clinical studies, working with a lot of physicians to be mentioned on podium at trade shows and hiring more pharmaceutical reps into the skincare business with the assumption that those pharmaceutical reps would be more comfortable speaking with the dermatologist and speaking directly to the physician about product science because mm -hmm. that's what you do as a pharmaceutical rep. Some of them did incredibly well. Some of them are still at the brand today. Mm -hmm. Some of them, and I even had one guy in new hire training a couple of years ago that we hired from pharma. Um, I asked him why I made the transition and he said, well, I was tired of sitting in the waiting room with my drug while the skincare reps just, you know, just got called right on back. It's like, Come on back. It's so good to see you. And he goes, I want to be that one. I don't want to be this. They want to be that. But because yeah. we tried to medicalize the brands, we started hiring them. Some of them don't understand the dispensing model. And mm -hmm. it's hard for some to make the transition from, you know, going in and detailing a physician, leaving some samples, getting the signature, and then waiting for them to write the script to flipping to, I'm going to come in, I'm going to detail you about my products. I will show you how to sell them and I'm going to help you sell through. Mm -hmm. That I think is a really hard move for some, not all. Yeah. No, I can totally see that because it is a totally different dynamic when you're in pharmaceutical beauty sales. It's, it's, yeah. it's totally different than, you know, a pharmaceutical drug. Yeah. Drug. Mm -hmm. And a lot, you know, to me, to be a pharmaceutical rep, I wouldn't have the patience because I've sat in waiting rooms, you know, briefly waiting to see my customers while the pharma rep just was in the waiting room when I went back for a luncheon and was still in the waiting room when I came out two hours later. Yeah. You know, I don't have that kind of patience. I feel mm -hmm. quite certain that surely they move a little faster than they used to. But then when you flip that and you think, you know, a skincare rep or an aesthetic rep that wants to move to pharma, I mean, I can kind of see that maybe, maybe they do. And to, to that, I would just say, maybe that was their ultimate goal anyway, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, that they got into aesthetic medical sales to try to eventually work to pharmaceutical as mm -hmm. opposed to getting into medical aesthetic sales. And then one day thinking, oh, you know, I actually want to be a, a pharma rep. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like you either want to do that or you don't. I don't know that you evolve mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But, um, you know, where we are now, especially at, at Sente, you know, we have some really good data showing incredible reductions in inflammation and redness with one of our products. And so it does really resonate with medical dermatology, um, but still resonates with aesthetics as well. Mm -hmm. But we have the opportunity to talk about the clinical science. So I think what's happened over the years for sure is that 
again, trying to medicalize a skincare brand has absolutely worked. And now, in order to sell a medically dispensed skincare brand into a practice, you have to be able to understand the clinical science that the company is providing you with so that you can share that with the physician. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fun, right? It's, it's really nice to be able to show a physician how a, an over-the-counter, you know, medically dispensed, topically applied skincare product can make a huge difference in a patient's life. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of talking with doctors, you know, that can, you know, that's always been sometimes of a challenge, you know, when you're selling skincare, you know, sometimes doctors, you know, they kind of sometimes will discount you right away because it's, you know, not, you know, maybe to their, what they think, you know, it should be. But like you said, there are so many advancements that now over-the-counter products really can perform. And I think a lot of um, sales executives that work in beauty, sometimes they get a little nervous or tripped up speaking with a physician. Um, How did you overcome like being tongue-tied or, you know, sometimes (laughs) physicians will like throw a really hard question at you. I think sometimes on purpose to see like how you're going to handle it. Um, how do you handle those those types of positions? I think that that is a great question. Um, so, I have I've always wanted to work with physicians, and my first job in skincare was with a plastic surgeon. And it doesn't get in the aesthetic world. It doesn't get any more serious than that. You know, I worked in a plastic surgery practice that had an OR on site. And so we had patient days and we had surgery days. And, you know, so there were just a lot of really good rules around what you can and can't do in the office. I interacted with the physician a lot. When he, when we had injectable days, I would, he always had another staff member with him when he was um, doing Botox injections because he liked to interact with patients. Um, so he would do Botox, interact with the patients. He had someone else in the room with him and we would talk about skincare. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I guess I lost, if I ever had any, I lost my fear of speaking with physicians in working with him or at least knew. And I think what really gets people is not the physician themselves, but what is going on in that office when you walk in there, Mm -hmm. Uh, right? Cause you walk in and everybody seems very busy. There's almost always something unexpected happening in the medical office and you can't figure out like, how do you get their attention Mm -hmm. right now and make your skincare line as important as whatever else is going on right now with all these people flowing past you. So I think for me, the comfort level was in knowing what was going on in the office at any Mm -hmm. time, understanding the dynamic between the physician, the estheticians and the other staff, and just not being afraid to talk to a physician like a human being, right? I think the other thing that I see a lot of sales reps do is trying to be like too rigid and too formal and to try to meet a physician peer to peer, which we cannot do. Mm -hmm. If you're not a doctor, you're not going to be able to talk to a doctor like you're a doctor. So don't even try, Um, you know, talk to them, give them credit, say, you know, you're the physician, here's what I know. However, I'll leave this with you and you can interpret it, um, you know, in your free time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the the big mistakes that a lot of people make is to try to meet them question for question, word Mm -hmm. for word, when you can't Mm -hmm. do that. And I've just, 
you know, I've sat in meetings where we strategize about how do we get to this position? How do we talk to this person? You know, yeah. what, like what, how do we get our foot in the door with this yeah, guy? What really resonates with them? Mm -hmm. And I just have always thought, how about saying, hi, how are you? How's your day? Is this a good time? Exactly. Um, you know, doctors, they, they, doctors are people too. <laughs> they are. I say that all the time. Doctors are people too. You know, and you and I have shared some great customers over the years that mm -hmm. were absolutely lovely people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after you talk to one or two of them, you're good. You're never scared of a position again. And I do agree the, when they ask you some ridiculous questions, they're trying to trip you up because some mm -hmm. of the questions they ask are trick questions and do not have an answer. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, they just automatically, well, let me see the white papers. Let me see this. And, you know, part of me always kind of knew sometimes you're really not going to read that. You just want to see if I have it. So here <laughs> it is. I hope you'll enjoy reading this you know, over your lunch break, which I know is not going to happen. So, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's actually, that is the most rewarding part of my job right now. I mean, obviously helping our salespeople to, to excel and to grow, but I have just had the joy of working with some amazing physicians, especially mm -hmm. this year, you know, during COVID, it's been so strange. I've met via zoom so many amazing physicians that I've yet to meet in person. But for me, that is just, that's the growth part of my job. Um, that has been just the most exciting part of it this year. Yeah, that's amazing. I love hearing that. And I know that you've, you know, transitioned, I guess, technically out of being in outside sales and you're more in education with the brand that you're with now, which is Sente. And I'd love to know your take on, you know, as you transferred out of sales and into education, you know, what's the big difference? And, and obviously I know you're enjoying the education part of it. So I'll let you kind of answer that. Yeah. Um, I, mm, good question. Um, you know, working in sales, I loved it and I, you know, I still love it. But the one thing that I realized early on in sales is that educating is selling. Um, when you get to a medically dispensed skincare line that has clinical science behind it, you're, customer can't reorder from you until they sell through what they've already ordered and they can't sell through it if they can't explain it to the patient. So I remember standing in a training one day at an, an office and thinking, oh my goodness, I am really pressed for time. I really need to be selling. And then a little you know, voice in my head said, you are selling, mm -hmm. you're teaching, mm -hmm. you're selling, keep mm -hmm. going. Um, you know, you can't sell something that you don't understand. I wish you could, but you'll sell more of it if you can understand it. So, you know, for me, it was just um, sitting in sales meetings and, you know, watching training presentations from lovely, talented people and thinking, well, I knew all that information already, you know, in a nice way. And I think that we could do better and we could provide more. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity came along and, and I took it. I just felt like, you know, if I've come this far and, and I have something to share that will help somebody else move faster, right? Where it doesn't take them 10 or 20 years to transition to this point in their career, that that's what I want to do. I love that. That's great. And that's kind of your way too of giving back to the industry. Um, and I love that. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the, this industry is is um, very multifaceted. It's very intricate. It takes years and years and years to see and hear and do everything and to cover all the possibilities. And I don't think you ever do cover all the possibilities. So getting to a point where you really understand it and are just really fluid with your day-to-day can mm-hmm. take a long time. I remember my first year, um, you know, at SkinCeuticals and just everything, every event I did, every training I did, it wasn't just getting ready for the training. I had to stop and think, what do I want to talk to them about? Mm-hmm. What do I have to use to present to them to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Where is it? Mm-hmm. How many do I need? It was getting together all of that before I could just even go to the training. That took me a year before I was really just fluidly moving about able to do that. Yeah. And I think that's really true for everyone that, you know, your first, you know, quote unquote sales position, um, when you haven't had, you know, a background in beauty sales, that first year is just a year of growth and learning and figuring out your, you know, your schedule, how you work, you know, what's working best for you. And it's a real pivotal year. And it's such an important time to really set up the success for the rest of your, your career. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It was, um, I am lucky I got through that first year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surviving the first year. And then, you know, really, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but you know, selling in Las Vegas is a totally different beast than selling anywhere else in the U S. Um, it's just a, you know, a really different kind of community. It's a, it's a small, big city and you, it's all, it's really about relationships here, even more so than anywhere else. Um, you know, Vegas still has that kind of hometown kind of feel and you really just have to kind of let people get to know you basically. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, that's a really good point that you make because I came here from Tennessee. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know my way around. And I just started walking into my account's offices and saying, hi, y'all. I'm Lori. It's so exciting to be here to just absolute dead blank stares. They just looked at me. Why are you in our office? And it took a year and a half mm-hmm. before that changed, right? I could feel the energy change. I felt the dynamic change. And it went from, okay, hold on, to come on back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here. But I think there's a lot more to it than that. You know, it's not just the, the dynamic here. It's the, oh. knowing that, you, that you're bringing value when you come mm-hmm. to the office. Yeah, and they, you know, Vegas, you know, they really appreciate local reps because a lot of the the reps that service Vegas don't live here. They might live in San Diego or Orange County or, you know, Arizona even. And so when you're a local rep, I used to always make sure I said that, like, I live local, you know, they just love that because they know that you would really be there to service them, like, you know, like they deserve, right? Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about Sente. And now, I know this company was founded by biotech engineers or entrepreneurs, I'm sorry, and scientists, but what was their inspiration? What is the backstory behind Sente? I know I remember seeing it kind of pop up in med spas probably a good five years ago, and it's just taken off. It's just, it's huge. Yeah. So, um, great questions all the way around. Sente was founded, we went into development in R&D in 2013 or 2014 when they started looking at this ingredient that they had 
called HSA, which is um, heparin sulfate analog. It is a modified, smaller version of heparin sulfate, which is a glycosaminoglycan that's endogenous in our skin. Um, there's a group of guys that had this ingredient already because they, they developed it for pharmaceutical use. Um, but they knew that it probably had some value outside of pharmaceuticals. So they just started kind of doing some research, trying to figure out what the value would be in topically applied skincare. They found um, a physician very close to them, actually um, at University of California, San Diego, named Richard Gallo. He's um, a dermatologist and he's the world's leading researcher in glycosaminoglycan science in the skin. And as it happens, he's truly a few miles from the original Sente office in San Diego County. And they just went to him with, you know, this analog, the ingredient, um, what they were thinking that it would or could do in a topically applied skincare product. And he was very excited. He said, mm -hmm. I have, you know, thought for years and years that this had value and you finally figured it out. So he's still our chief scientific advisor, which is really fantastic, brilliant man. Love, you know, meeting with him, talking with him. Um, but they just went through this process of developing topical skincare products using HSA and, you know, developing out what it would do. Doing a clinical study, which was um, published in the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology several years ago, showing the value of, of applying a product that contains heparin sulfate analog to the skin um, and what it does. And they kind of just built the product range out from there. That's really interesting. So I know, you know, with hyaluronic acid, and I know yours is way more advanced than that, but with what I've learned or what I've been told, and I would love for you to dispel this myth if it's true or not. So with hyaluronic acid, I know it's used, I mean, you know, you mentioned SkinCeuticals and they're, you know, so well known for their B5 gel, I think it's called, right? If I remember from my SkinCeutical days. Yes. And, you know, hyaluronic serums are all the rage, you know, in skincare. And, you know, when you live in a dry climate, so let's say, you know, Arizona, Vegas, Utah, when you apply a hyaluronic serum, um, if there is no moisture in the air to attract to your skin, does then that hyaluronic pull from within your skin, making you, in essence, more dehydrated? Or is that a myth? I've, I've heard so many back and forths. And since your brand is really founded on an advanced version, I'd love to know your take on that. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't have the straight up scientific answer for that. But I have, I've had a lot of anecdotal stories from people over the years that uh, applying hyaluronic acid-based serums to certain skin types causes the skin to become drier because like you said, it has to pull water from somewhere. The assumption is that it will pull it from the environment. If there's no water to pull from the environment, i.e. if you live in a dry climate or it's winter and it's very cold, mm -hmm. then you could get the opposite effect where it pulls moisture from the skin. And I've heard you know, evidence of that over the years. And it's entirely possible. What I think happens is that it happens a lot when you get a too high of a percentage of hyaluronic acid in a product. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you talk about, to me, like you always talk about the therapeutic level of an ingredient in a product. And there's a reason for 
percentages of ingredients in all products and that's what you need you know you, you you get what you get and you get what you need and you don't need more and more is not always better so i feel like sometimes that happens when people are buying maybe hyaluronic acid based products that have too much in it um or maybe it has another ingredient in it altogether that you know helps with the functionality or the spreadability of the product in some way, but ends up drying the skin. And mm -hmm. I think it also happens when you don't put some type of moisturizing or hydrating cream on top of it. I think you could probably offset most of that by putting some type of cream on top of it that will trap moisture back on the surface of the skin. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, but it's possible. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. I, I, I know that was kind of off topic in a sense, but I know that, you know, since you worked for SkinCeuticals and, you know, now you're with Sente, I, I thought you might be the perfect person to kind of help us understand that better. Cause I know we, we hear so many different things. Yeah. I think um, it has a lot to do with climate and your skin type to begin okay. with. Okay. Well, thank you. And now I know you sent me some amazing products from your brand and um, I've, I've held off on trying them until you and I, you know, talked today because I know I am experiencing a little bit of pigmentation all of a sudden. It just popped up this year. And I think a little bit has to do with hormones. And, you know, obviously I've been in skincare a long time. I'm an esthetician. I kind of know the route I should be taking to correct it. But, you know, because I, I think I'm a Fitzpatrick four-ish, um, I'm, I'm always a little leery of doing like laser, even, even I know now they're way more advanced, but, you know, part of me is still afraid to do that. I'm still afraid, you know, to do things that could make my pigmentation work worse because I am darker skinned. Can you speak to, to that with your brand? And I know your brand is doing a lot um, recently to really kind of be really inclusive for all skin tones and all skin types. Yeah, I think, A, you're right. I don't know that you that laser is you know necessary for mm -hmm. you um, with your skin type. So darker skin tones, we know, respond differently to everything. Um, certain conditions look different on darker skin than they do on lighter skin. The great thing about our product line in general is that if you go back to the heparin sulfate analog and what it does and what HS is in the skin, you know, we talked about hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid is a glycosaminoglycan. It's a great surface hydrator um, for the skin. It's really prevalent in the epidermis. And then you look at heparin sulfate, which is um, in the dermis primarily, um, and epidermis, but also in the dermis, it's, it's biologically active. So it pulls water to the skin, but it has biological activity that helps um, control a lot of cell-to-cell -cell communication, proliferation, a lot of the processes that take place in the skin. One of the great things that HSA does is to bind water in the skin and control inflammation. When you start controlling, when you start, A, first of all, binding water in the skin, not just on the skin, and you're upregulating the amount of hydration you're holding in your skin, that, by virtue, controls inflammation. When you control inflammation, then you're starting to be able to control the production of excess pigmentation. Um, so by contrast to some other ingredients and some other you know, product lines, all of our products are very gentle for sensitive skin, sensitized skin, dry skin, skin with rosacea, and darker skin tones because 
it does not cause any type of inflammation. Um, it helps to downregulate inflammation actually and improve internal water balance in the skin, which all leads to less inflammation. And that's really important in uh, darker skin, skin of color. Mm-hmm. You can. I'm so glad that I asked you that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, you sent me, you know, a very generous um, amount of product to try and I'm going to, you know, try them for the next, you know, month and a half so that by the time this episode airs, I really can have a good, you know, before and after and really, you know, share the experience because I've heard so many great things about this brand and I've been dying to try mm-hmm. it for years and I can't believe I, I hadn't, you know, to be quite honest, because um, I hear a lot of physicians raving about your brand. So, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I know you were going to probably expand upon that a little bit. No, it's totally fine. I, you know, I, I knew when I was sending them to you, I thought, okay, what do I make sure that, you know, what do I send to make sure mm-hmm. that all of this is absolutely perfect for her? And honestly, you know, everything in our line is perfect for your skin because there's nothing in there that really causes irritation, causes a lot of dryness, uh, or would upregulate any type of inflammation in your skin. So I think that's what makes it ideal for you. But we've done recently, you know, we added um, a product for pigmentation to our line that we are the, the exclusive U.S. distributor for, and that's called Cispera. So we went a step further and did a study using Cispera and our dermal repair cream in a regimen. And what we saw with that was improvements in hydration. Um, We did hydration mapping to actually show um, the amount of improvement in deep hydration that we get in the skin. And that's attributed to the dermal repair cream. We show um, significant downregulation of redness, which is representing obviously um, erythema and inflammation. And then the improvements in the pigmentation that come from CISPRA. So they work really nicely together as a very gentle, non-irritating, hydrating, soothing way to improve pigmentation in darker skin tones without any retinol, without any hydroquinone, without any need for any form of peeling or an uncomfortable experience in order to get that result. That's great. I, I love hearing that. And, you know, I know, as I said, I know that Sente is doing a lot, um, you know, recently, you know, with the climate in our country, you know, we, you and I had talked about this before, you know, with, you know, Black Lives Matter and all of this coming really to the forefront of people's minds on social media, a lot of companies were kind of being put on blast, so to speak, you know, with, you know, kind of being asked to kind of, you know, talk about are they are they being inclusive to everybody and what is so great about your brand is that you are so i'd love for you to speak to that because i think that is so beautiful and so important and i you know hope that other skincare brands listening will take note and um you know kind of look to what you're doing with your brand to kind of follow suit and i really would love for you to share that yeah oh thank you i you know it's a really tough time i think for everyone right now and just so much attention on so many so many things Mm -hmm. going on in our country but you know we because we know that our products are ideal for darker skin tones they're great for everyone but they're ideal for darker skin tones as well we in order to be authentic in that space we felt that we needed to do something to give back 
to that space. And we've always, or I'd say for the last couple of years, we've been uh, partnered with the Skin of Color Society in, you know, helping to promote education um, regarding skin conditions and solutions for darker skin types. We just um, presented the CISPRA Dermal Repair Cream results at a Skin of Color um, update virtual meeting that they did a couple of weeks ago. And that was amazing for us. Um, we're also currently requiring that any new clinical studies for our products include a range of skin tones, including black skin, which I think is very important. Like you said, you have to be representative of um, the entire population. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someone looking at before and after pictures, whether it's on a website, on social media, in a doctor's office, they need to see a before and after picture that looks just like them, mm -hmm. not be expected to you know, look at a picture and extrapolate those to what it might look like on them, but they need to be able to see before and after pictures that look just like them. Mm -hmm. So that's a requirement for any new clinical studies that we do. And I think it's hugely important. And I think one thing that some people don't realize is that, you know, skin conditions look differently on darker skin types than they do on lighter skin types. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm no expert on that at all, I will tell you, but, you know, I follow now and work with a lot um, of black dermatologists who are some of the most brilliant physicians that I've had the opportunity to work with in a long time. And I read very closely everything that they do, everything that they post so that I can see for myself what their patients are dealing with versus what other people's patients might be dealing with and what certain skin conditions look like on darker skin. And that, you know, that's been very important for us. But we also just, you know, went a little further. We reached out to some of our physicians that are some of our very best customers and asked them, you know, what can we do in your community to help support at-risk or underserved communities? And, you know, for us, we know that success at age 18, success at age 25, success at going to medical school starts way back when you're a child and the opportunities that you're given, um, kids fall behind very young. You know, you, you learn to read when you're very young. If you are already behind when you're five years old, where do you catch up? Mm -hmm. And, you know, go back as far as you can in that process and start trying to make a difference there. So we asked um, some physicians in Maryland what we could do to help in their local community. And they referred us um, to an organization there locally called Young uh, um, Audiences. And they, you know, they do a lot of support for um, the arts, not just art, but all of the, the arts um, for younger students. Um, you know, their vision is, you know, to partner with schools throughout Maryland in all 24 of the school districts in Maryland to provide students of all ages from kindergarten to grade 12, you know, with hundreds of thousands of hours of art discovery, inspiration, hands-on learning, and engagement through the arts. And we reached out to them to see what they might need, and we ended up donating to them um, a whole bunch of iPads that we're not currently using. We refurbished them, repurposed them, and donated them to uh, the Bloomberg Arts in Internship uh, interns uh, there at the organization. And, you know, to see the video, they actually sent us back a video um, of the day that they opened them up. And it was just so cool to see how mm -hmm. excited that they were 
um, to have these new iPads and, you know, to be able to give them a tool that, you know, that helps them learn at home and especially now when they can't really go anywhere. Um, that was, that was really important for us and just, you know, a mission for us to continue to do that. And we continue to do so. If you, you look at our social media, you'll see twice a month that we're posting educational resources about, you know, underprivileged, underserved communities, how you can help, where you can donate, books you can read, um, documentaries you can watch. And I think it's really important um, to have that conversation. You know, you and I talked earlier about the fact that a lot of people don't want to talk about um, racism, but um, I think we all know that you can't solve a problem that you're not willing to talk about. Mm -hmm. No, that's so true. And we can't be afraid to have the conversations. Um, and especially within a skincare company or a beauty company, it's okay to have those, those conversations. And it's important, um, I think, for all of us just to thrive in the future. Um, I mean, even look like what we talked about earlier with just, you know, 40 years ago, clinical studies weren't even being done on women in skincare. It was men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, on the dermological side anyway. So, I mean, we have to keep moving forward and be more inclusive of everybody. And so I just wanted to give you that moment to talk about the great things your company is doing because, you know, this podcast is definitely about beauty, but I think it's also important to highlight the good things that companies are doing um, for communities um, as well as helping people improve their skin. So it, right. it goes yeah. all around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. And you know, the thing, the other thing that I would say to that is, you know, I think that now is also not the time to, you know, to, to criticize people who maybe are not as inclusive as they could or should be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right now I feel like in 2020, we're all just kind of on a merry-go-round mm -hmm. of, kind of holding in place where we are. Um, so, you know, I think the, the thing that's really important to me is that instead of criticizing from the outside and, you know, looking at another company and saying, well, let's see your diversity numbers or, you know, what are you doing? Or, or you know, your current numbers are not representative of what you're saying have a conversation, have a constructive conversation and make suggestions about exactly what any company can do to mm -hmm. do better. You know, I think there's just a little too much lately of people just wanting to, to just very quickly judge based on what they see and not engaging in a conversation. And, you know, nothing is that easy. Nothing is as easy as fixing. as just posting something on social media. You have to have a conversation about anything that you want to fix. Yeah. And I think it's okay to be, to, to like, you know, preface anything with like, I may not say the right thing, but the important thing is that you're open to the conversation. Yeah, exactly. We all can fumble on our words or we know we don't want to you know, we're so worried about insulting somebody else. But I think it's important, like we talked about earlier in sales, is just to be authentic and to be real. And like you said, to say, if you don't know something, say it. And it's okay. And that's how you learn. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to fail. No, don't be afraid to put your foot in your mouth. I do it all the time. <laughs> I do it all the time. Um, so I want to end, um, gosh, this, this conversation has been so great. I, we've talked 
about everything. Um, it's it's just been such a, a well-rounded topic. And we talked about politics a little bit. We've talked about the beauty industry. We've talked about science. Um, it's been pretty incredible. Um, but I do want to, to end with a couple of things. One is if somebody is interested in looking into trying Sente, what would you recommend they start with? What are your you know, I hate to use the word Cadillac products, but what are your star products? What right. are the things that people should really take a look at? Good, good question. I two star products for sure. Dermal repair cream. Um, that was our one of our first two products, and it's mm -hmm. still you know the the flagship, if you want to call it, mm -hmm. multitasking product. It contains our patented um, ingredient HSA, heparin sulfate analog. It's a hydrating cream. Um, you can use it day or night. You can add it into any regimen. It doesn't have anything in it that conflicts with any other product that you're already using. And it's just a very nice um, deep hydrator, surface hydrator. And that's the one that our JDD uh, study in 2015 was published regarding. And then that's your twice a day hydrating cream. Um, add to that at nighttime BioComplete Serum, which is a very gentle um, retinol product. It's actually a retinol ester and some retinol. It's all very slowly time released. So you get very nice, gentle retinol benefits with hydration. Uh, no peeling, no dryness, but the, that's a powerhouse uh, duo that will definitely make a, a difference in and on your skin without any peeling and any dryness. Now, if you were stranded on an island then, what Sente products would you have with you? Dermal repair cream. You have okay. to have it. Um, let's, we're assuming that you already have sunscreen. So, you know, the next thing you have to have if you're on a desert island is dermal repair cream for the controlling of the redness and for the deep hydration. Mm -hmm. And what is your favorite product? Um, I know it's hard to pick just one, but I'm going to ask you to do, to do that. Just pick one of the Sente products that you cannot live without. Dermal repair cream. I'll okay. just have to go back to that. It is. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to find a good hydrating, moisturizing, soothing product that works with everything else that you're using on your skin and everything else that you're doing. And you know, it has clinical studies. It's been proven safe pre and post microneedling, non-ablative laser treatment. So you can multitask with it without having to start and stop. So that's, that's the must have. Yeah. And I like that your brand, you know, doesn't have a million SKUs. It really is a great brand to bring in no matter what you currently are carrying. It's just a good addition. Like you were saying, it really fits in with just about any other you know, pharmaceutical brand, or if you're just doing a more organic, clean brand, it really is a nice um, segue for both. It is. It, it fits in nicely. And like you said, it's a, a very compact, very focused line, which I like. Mm -hmm. um, and yet covers all of the skin types and skin concerns that that could arise in your practice. Yeah. Lori, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. And I just feel really, you know, honored to have you on the show. You've really been great. I mean, you, we, like I said, I can't believe we've covered all these different topics in um, this time that we've had together, but it's been wonderful. And I'm really glad to call you a colleague. And I'm glad that we've had the chance to kind of bump into each other out in the field over the years. And it's been great just getting to know you better. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
thank you, Claudia. It's just so good to, you know, to, to talk to you again, like you said, after, after a few years out in the field. And thank you. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you liked this episode, I would be grateful if you would rate and review and be sure to subscribe so you can get notified when the next episode goes live. To learn more about makeup, skincare, self-care, and my personal go-to products, visit thebeautydebut.com. Do you want to continue today's conversation? You can find me on Instagram at thebeautydebut and on LinkedIn at Claudia Fabian.